Section 19 of Movies and Hollywood Short Story Collection, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. The Tramp by Adela Rogers St. John. And here is A Story of Hollywood by Mrs. St. John's, who knows whereof she speaks. Part One Now, the thing about Hollywood that must always be considered is its isolation. Within that dark, fragrant arm of hills that encircles its beauty, it is a tiny empire, walled about by its own indifference, fed upon its self-satisfaction armed against the outside world's opinions and customs by its self-sufficiency. In all isolated places are to be found strange reproductions of essential types of the great world. Any traveler will tell you that the clown of the circus performs his tricks many miles from the sawdust ring, minus only his mask and cap. In the courtroom, on trial for his life, a clown lover, befooled, betrayed, but still posturing, in armies, cracking jokes as he fights for a lie he has believed. There are other types, too. Of one of these you will find hundreds in Hollywood. In this dimpling, seductive cousin of the tropics, they blossom like capricious flowers of the South Seas. A gypsy army that shifts and changes continually, yet is always the same. A sisterhood of laughter, remotely related to the beachcombers of the Pacific, the pretty girls who come to Hollywood to go into the movies, the little studio tramps, the four corners of the earth send them, and are left to wonder what has become of them, bearing in their slim hands the single silly weapon of their prettiness. They come to conquer this empire that has so long been immune to prettiness. Every year they pour into its gates by hundreds, having nothing to offer but their pretty faces and their slim, graceful, young bodies, nothing else to offer, nothing else at last to sell, nothing else, too, with which to buy, and beauty is the cheapest coinage in Hollywood. The rate of exchange is too high. Sometimes, in the hot human darkness of a little picture show in Nashville, or Des Moines, or Waukegan, a woman sees a face on the screen that looks familiar. Then it is wallowed up in the swift shifting of the silver screen, and she says, My, that looked like little Minnie O'Brien. I wondered what happened to Minnie. She went out to Hollywood to go into the movies. Or a boy sees a flash of intriguing girlhood in a bathing suit and murmurs, Gosh, for a shake I thought that was Lucy Jenkins. She had ankles like that. Lucy went to Hollywood, too. If you come to Hollywood and know anyone who can show you the actual working soul of the place, you will see thousands of Minnies and Lucies. Thousands of extra people, nameless hordes, employed in the studios every year. At least 75% of them are girls, pretty girls. Ah, they are unique, alluring, bizarre creatures. They have to be. On the level, violently frank, wise, hard-boiled, generous, fresh, always ready for anything. Most of them are extra girls, freelance ingenues and not-so-good leading women. 
those who have burned out a tiny flash of success and returned to the dust from which they came stock girls in cheap companies serial actresses comedy queens bathing beauties dancers doubles their only address is a telephone number that is what becomes of the girls who go to hollywood to go into the movies and do not become stars tramps they call them in hollywood ninon gay stood up and crimped her pretty bare pink toes about the edge of the springboard against the blue sky and the dark hill behind her the slim little figure silhouetted deliciously turning up her pug nose where a sprinkling of freckles lay like golden powder she walked casually off into space disappearing into the brown blue water with less splash than a razor blade a few seconds later her face cut into the air and she remarked to the company in general the only bathing beauty in the world that isn't afraid to get her bathing suit wet a large painted devilfish of rubber swam near her and she climbed dexterously aboard and sat cross-legged her thin olive-tinted shoulders dripping donald she called imperiously give me that uke the spirit moveth me to yowl in the twilight i cannot stand silence and if anybody gave me a cigarette all lighted i could be induced to inhale a few puffs she paddled over to the edge of the pool took the ukulele stuck the cigarette expertly in one corner of her mouth and then shoved off with her foot when she had again reached the middle of the pool she exhaled a great cloud of blue smoke that wreathed fantastically about her scarlet bathing cap and began to sing little pulsing chords came from beneath her wet fingers from where she sat she could see the sweep of miles of smooth rolling hills topped by gorgeous mansions and perfect gardens above the tall plaster wall that divided the swimming pool from the house next door she caught a glimpse of the glinting turquoise roof of a summer house covered with yellow roses behind her shoulders the wide white facade of the spanish house that belonged to the swimming pool opened cool hospitable arms ninon fell to humming the beat street blues smoke sifting through her nostrils one wise black eye in the group that had been playing audience to her audacities her fat dark-haired host perspiring in a palm beach suit donald browning a handsome juvenile she detested cappy witzel a scenario writer who danced too well that's the reason people say his brains are in his feet ninon had once explained it isn't on account of his scenarios at least i don't think it is a chic young society woman from san francisco glad and ethel with a couple of well-groomed men but they look like added starters to me murmured ninon to herself doug brandt who was directing glad's new picture several others oh well brandt came down to the water's edge and she smiled at him ninon's face was like a french song when she smiled the crimson bow that was her mouth widened softened the gammon lock that her smallness her triangular chin with its dimple and the enormous snapping black eyes gave it is the water cold ninon he asked she shook her scarlet bound head nope i recommend it thoroughly for all external uses 
of course there's one bad thing about it it's very wet the society woman from san francisco strolled over very kindly she said oh miss gay you're an actress aren't you ninon opened her eyes very wide i don't know the jury's still out when brant dived in she was again in the water hey she said give me a ride she chased and caught an elusive surfboard now tell me he swam briskly pulling her around and around until with a wild shriek she fell into the water my god ninon what pep you've got said brant watching her as she lay idly for a moment on the surface of the water she gave him a hard bright look yeah wonder why it's never got me anywhere brant studied the little pointed face the vivid lips and i don't know ninon he said slowly it's hard to tell with girls like you sometimes it looks like you've got so much more than the ones who have put it over partly it's luck of course and the right chance and sometimes pull sometimes too it's that you have the kind of a spark that can't be harnessed made to work for us well said ninon and the bitterness frayed through her tone i think you're doing the public a great injustice permitting the real sarah bernhardt of the screen to starve in luxury the way i do never mind i'm only a little firefly now but i'll be a star some day oh let's set that to music she turned a flip and brant caught her as she came up held her close to him for a second his eyes narrowed into hers you're a sweet kid he said ninon's mouth puckered and there was the faintest possible quiver of her nostrils i know it she said come and see me sometime i'm a girl with a lot of ideas maybe i will see you tonight you're going to the cinematographer's ball aren't you oh my sacred aunt hattie said ninon don't tell me that ball is tonight doug you are jesting with me you idiot of course it's tonight then though my soul is torn by this parting i've got to leave you i am going to the ball but like cinderella i have nothing to wear and no fairy godfather so adieu my love adieu in a close-fitting black frock she came from the dressing-room a few moments later her hair marvellously hinted to match the best coat of a thoroughbred irish setter standing out in crisp short curls all over her head her fat host fourth concert of a nice old lady who bought her husband's as she bought her books for her friends to enjoy was talking to estelle west a newly created star and a real beauty ninon strolled up her little feet in their french-heeled round-toed sandals tripping like the feet of a restless pony hello 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 she said carelessly the tall cool blonde in the big hat measured her for a moment making a sweet but patient effort to remember her and then said well in her throat oh yes how de do ninon gay stopped short in her tracks and brought her thin line of coal-black eyebrows down over her eyes she had encountered this phenomenon before newly elevated stars whose memories of the past shrunk as their heads swelled what's the matter estelle she asked softly softening of the brain already the tall blonde 
drew herself up, but hesitated under the hot grin Ninon shot at her. Ah, said that young lady, I see it all now. You have trouble in recollecting me. I am a spectre from the past you fain would declare never existed. Still, we must not let this mistake proceed further. My name, humble though it may be, is Ninon Gay. I used to dress with you years and years. She burlesced the throatiness neatly, ago, when you were only a bathing girl yourself. Are you too grand now to remember those humble beginnings? Perhaps I can recall myself to you by mentioning one night when you and I went out with Craney Botsford and Pat Sargent and you. Estelle West shot a hasty, exquisite hand out to the other girl's arm. Ninon, she said swiftly, don't be silly. I'm glad to see you. Why don't you ever come to see me, honey? Yes, do ask me to some of your nice parties. I'll behave like any lady you want to mention. Bloody Mary, or Theta Bera, or Carrie Nation. We strive to please. I promise not to take all the men. Ninon gave her host a gay little wave, and he dashed again to her side. Ninon Gay was always a welcome guest. Good fun. He liked to have her around. It was an open secret that he had once offered her the seat on his left hand at the family table. Come again soon, Ninon, he said warmly. Shall, said Ninon, as long as you keep that swimming pool in your backyard and my favorite gin in your icebox, you can count on me. She moved into the doorway and found herself face to face with a man. A tall, pale, rather good-looking chap, with a sweet smiling mouth and fine, friendly gray eyes. He held his cloth hat in his hand, and he wore the light coat, riding trousers, and putties that are the national uniform in Hollywood. I'm looking for Miss West, he said, gazing deeply into Ninon's black eyes. At least, I was. I'll stop it right away, though, if you'll let me look for you. Ninon laughed and wondered why she was trembling. Oh, you can't ever miss me. My hair's like a float in a parade. But the gorgeous Miss West is only a couple of feet behind my right ear, so if you really want to ask her to be queen of the May, you better speak right up. He saw the star's smooth golden head towering above Ninon's red curls. Oh, Miss West, he said in a pleasant young voice. Mr. Duvalon wanted me to tell you he'd want you tomorrow at twelve, just for retakes on those few drawing-room scenes, the spangled evening gown. He waited, looking shamelessly at Ninon Gay, and somehow I always seem to be having a swell time. It's part of my act. Ninon's smile grew tremulous under Pete's intense gaze. Ninon waited, too. Her breath seemed suspended in her slim, vibrant throat. Did you come in a car, Mr. Winton? The star asked. The young man nodded. Yes, but I would have walked. Ninon, dear, said Estelle West, this is Pete Winton, our assistant director. If you haven't your car, perhaps he can take you back to Hollywood. No, said Ninon gravely. I haven't a car with me. My limousine is having new rubies set in the tail light, and my roadster is laid up with a bum wisdom tooth. So if Mr. Winton, 
What did she say you do for a living? Oh, shoot craps, mostly. Read em and weep, said Ninon, giving him the sweetest little come-hither look in her repertoire. Then, if you'd be so kind... It's only a flivver, said Pete Winton, smiling. Ah, said Ninon, but does it run? It positively leaps. Then, said Ninon, shaking her curls, let's go. Two. Perhaps it would have been much better if they hadn't gone to Mamie's afterwards. Of course, Mamie was all right, a darn good scout. But as Ninon Gaze sat up in bed the next morning, she wished passionately that their first kiss hadn't been given in Mamie Martin's over-scented boudoir. Ninon had been kissed in that luxurious room before. Men followed you in there when you went to powder or rouge your lips. Ninon thought nothing of kisses. She never permitted herself to be mauled, but she would have felt like Don Quixote's twin sister, tilting at a kiss. She was much more apt to suspect those who didn't kiss her than those who did. This, Eve, borrowed a phrase from her great-grandmother, Eve, this was different. Quite entirely different. Something in her heart that had waited for the sound of Pete Winton's voice yesterday, something that stirred like the birth of a butterfly within a cocoon, something that even now was singing like a tiny thrush imprisoned in her heart, told her so. She climbed out of bed and got herself a cigarette, then, tucking her pink cotton crepe nightgown under her toes, she sat down beside the open window. The frame of the doorway threw her reflection back to her from the triple mirror of her dressing table. Ninon frowned. There was really nothing to frown at. She was quite pretty in the morning. Ninon, always too sleepy to take off her makeup when she came in late at night, the hours of sleep softened it to a pastel effect that was not far removed from the dewy freshness she had brought from Iowa years or was it centuries ago? But the gorgeous red hair that matched her piquant deviltry, her gammon personality that made her recognizable anywhere on the boulevard, that glowing mop of bobbed curls undoubtedly made her face look harder, older. And she was only twenty-three. But Ninon would almost as soon have admitted to forty as twenty-three. She peeped out into the boulevard, white in the noonday sun. Everything seemed very quiet. Well, anyway, it had been a gorgeous party. The memory of it made her tingle a little. Everybody that was anybody in Hollywood was there. In her chic black frock that ended just below her knees and just above her waistline, with an audacious cap of silver and green on her curls, Ninon had been one of its brightest spots she almost always was. In the first place, she danced superbly. It was a very gay party in Charlie Wingert's box, and stars, directors, producers, and authors all sought her there for a dance. Each one brought her back, convinced that he was the best dancer in the room. Mrs. Jerry Williams cut her dead, but Ninon grinned in her own fashion and was unconscious of the hurt to her soul. Mrs. Williams had been a friend of Kathleen Condon's. The evening was almost half over when she saw Pete Winton. She was dancing with Orville Daniel, and Orville 
had beyond question been too intimate with his bootlegger but extra girls do not refuse to dance with great directors even when their feet are more comic than directorial mignon for all her wiry strength and fairy feet had a difficult time with him once she was quite convinced that he had placidly gone to sleep on her shoulder and was moving his feet from reflex action only her eyes blazing with wrath she looked over his recumbent head into the whimsical amused gray-blue eyes of pete winton it was then that she knew she was going to fall in love with him which failed to concern her ninon was always falling in love with someone otherwise life became such a bore pete rescued her tactfully if the diplomatic corps ever needs recruits in a hurry they can be obtained from the ranks of assistant directors as he swung her on to the floor he said with a smile that was his greatest charm a sweet boyish appealing smile i suppose i'm lucky to get a dance i've been hanging around in the offing with an evil look in my eye but you seem to be having such a swell time i couldn't get near you i always seem to be having such a swell time said ninon gay it's part of my act she flung him a tantalizing smile that grew tremulous under the intensity of his gaze as she held his eyes and the music poured about them she remembered something an old fortune-teller had once said to her you're going to think you're in love a lot of times miss but you won't be you'll just be in love once and when you do it'll eat you up a minor chord long held needed her heart and she shivered snuggled closer into the curve of his arm that instantly tightened about her for the rest of the evening mignon chucked her party she and pete danced again and again they were both glad to go on up to Mamie's when the ball broke up. They wanted to prolong the evening. It wasn't that she resented the kiss. Nothing in the world could make her resent that. For it was then her superstitious brain had told her that she had found the one man for her love. It had been a thing of quicksilver and liquid music and ecstasy. Ninon had served passion before but this was as different from passion as a scarlet rose is different from an orchid this was a possibility of love the thing that made her sore that made her frown so blackly was that perhaps pete might not have recognized this difference she wrinkled her nose at the telephone it had not rung like the street below it was strangely quiet she longed to talk to pete she wished he were right there beside her her glance swept the room questioningly, a small room, white enamel woodwork, gray walls. On them pinned a few unframed pictures, the crumpled couch bed in the corner, a round imitation mahogany table, a small upright piano, untidy with sheet music, miscellaneous chairs. This is a darn funny-looking room, she said aloud. If she and Pete were to be much together she'd have to get a place where he could come a decent place she couldn't stand just to see him at cafes and parties restlessly she went to the piano and began to play she played very well by ear only and quite suddenly her head went down on the keys and she began to cry trying furiously to stem the flood of ravaging tears the door which was never locked swung open gently 
Nignon raised her hot head to see standing in the doorway a small girl in a clean white frock. She was not more than four. Her eyes were grave and gray. She stuck her small patent leather toe forward to hold the door, and her solemn gaze rested on Nignon. Hello, she said. Can I turn in? Nignon instantly presented to her a face radiant with smiles. Of course, Babsy. Come in, honey. Nignon wants you. The child came in quietly and shut the door. Nignon, did you cry? Why did you cry? Most always, when I turn to see you, you laugh. Nignon wrinkled her nose and regarded the small figure seriously. You're right, Babsy. Usually I laugh. One always has their choice. As a matter of fact, I unstop the glycerin because I am so darn lonesome. Do you ever get lonesome, Honeykin? Oh, yet, but I have my doll, and I have Toto. Who is Toto? Nignon drew the child close to her with a careful hand. She was a young person of reserves, was Babs. Oh, Toto is the parrot. I think he is the nicest parrot in the world. He always talks to me. Do you cry because you have not got Toto? A parrot, said Nignon. Might solve the problem, but I doubt it. Then swiftly her voice broke. You know, Babsy, I haven't got anything. I haven't got one thing in the whole world that really belongs to me. Not one person that really loves me. No, little girl. There was a smile on the crimson lips, but the tears in her throat drowned her voice. Mother says you have the most good times of anybody in the world. Mother don't think she has much good times. And you have me, Nignon. I love you because of the hair. Your hair is so nice. Gosh, I'd give anything in the world to hear you call me mother. Babs considered unwinkingly. Then, no, I couldn't do that. But I will call you Auntie Mignon, and what's next? I should like you for an auntie. You laugh nice, and I love your hair so. All right, honey. Pat my cheek, dear, with your little hand. That's it. Now, I'll tell you what. You play the piano until Auntie Nignon gets her clothes on, and then we'll go out and get the biggest, brownest ice cream soda in Hollywood. Is that your idea of a good time? Instantly, the child's face sobered. Oh, I did forget. I am so sorry, Nignon, but vicious Sunday and Mower says, Can't she bow out two plates? We are having company. My real aunt and my daddy turn on Sunday. When the steady little figure with its burden had gone across the hall, Ninon went to the window and looked out. That was why it was so quiet. That was why nobody called up. There was no chance of hearing from Pete. He had told her he always spent Sunday with his mother and sister. Ni, did you cry? said Babsy. When I turned to see you, why did you cry? You laugh most always. She hated Sunday. Everyone had a home. Someone even a husband. When she was dressed, she jammed her saucy green tarn over her curls. Across the hall was a sudden burst of laughter, a clatter of hospitable plates, a child's shrill, delighted voice. Nignon took off the green tarn and flung it on the sofa. Oh, well, she said. I guess I'm not hungry anyway. Oddly enough, afterwards, 
in the sightless night when sleep avoided him as though he were a thing unclean and in the day hours that would not pass it was ninon as she stood in the door of the little white house who always came to pete ninon in a plain black dress almost down to her ankles and a silly bit of white apron edged with lace ninon with glad sweet eyes and tender waiting lips and small hands marred by many burns and tiny needle pricks and when the memory became a thing almost beyond bearing and he tried to summon up the bizarre impudent flaming ninon of hollywood nights he could never quite make her real but now as he strode up the path in the stimulating starlight of a november evening he felt only that rush of expectant joy that she had taught him she was waiting for him framed in the doorway and ninon's welcome was a thing of lifted breast and shining eyes tired my darling she asked and her little hands were busy to take his paper and his cap to lead him into the warm bright room and fuss about his coat he never quite knew how she managed it always there was some little surprise present waiting for him when he came to the white house tonight it was new and shining slippers and they made a great matter of trying them on still work had been scarce at the studios during the slump he knew sacrifice must lie behind these things she would never take money from him no i want to give you something every day that i see you she said one night when he protested i pete i am making little offerings to the gods i am afraid of the gods they make for us in this world every woman is afraid we walk softly in happiness we make little sacrifices that the gods may accept them and not ask greater ones oh my dear love a woman after all can only love one man enough to want a home children so her happiness is a very frail thing for it has just one source it isn't safe outside the garden pete it isn't sometimes beautiful flowers grow outside the wall dear but they are always weeds even now after all these months the little white house continued to be a revelation to pete it was a very small white house once indeed it had been a barn a big living room with a cement floor and a red brick fireplace a tiny kitchen upstairs a bare whitewashed bedroom and bath not much of a house to be sure but of it somehow driven by the dreams that were now never absent from her eyes ninon had made a home no one would ever know what it had cost that tiny place where pete so carelessly absorbed ease and peace and comfort nor dream of the joy that ninon's tired feet and aching limbs and weary shining eyes knew as she tramped the streets looking for things to fit her nest of the bare white room above with its narrow army cot and strips of matting pete knew nothing don't you have dinner with your mother dear she asked she had already shut the kitchen door to keep out the smell of chops until he telephoned she had expected him to dinner but she didn't want him to know that he nodded come kiss me baby she went to him trembling sweet afraid cuddling up beside him on the sofa as a child curls up to sleep the deeps in her eyes grew from joy to content as she watched the happy little flames rollicking in her grate 
At that moment, the chief joy in Mignon's life was the fact that a carpenter friend had sent her a load of wood from the studio where she worked most often. Pete, of course, was perpetually broke. The salary of an assistant director is one not frequently mentioned. Pete was working with a big successful director. Some day, if the break came right, he would have a company of his own with the same firm. It was invaluable training. But like all training, expensive. Pete knew it was the path many great men had trod before him, and he was ambitious, terribly ambitious. He loved success. The things it brought of deference, praise, applause, electric lights. Some day that would all be his, if he didn't lose his head. In the meantime, Pete had extravagant ideas. Cafes, taxis, first nights, parties, cost money. To Nignon, the world without had lost its savor. Pete loved to see her shine, loved to watch her conquer a room full of people, loved her notoriety, her popularity, and the incense to his own vanity his complete possession of her gave him. And yet, they nearly always quarreled when they went out. Bitter, unkind, unpleasant quarrels, such as only two people who love each other passionately and are not sure of the future can know. He loved her small success, but like most men, he resented it. And he showed his mastery, his superiority, by small barbed insults, by reminders of the things that, after all, she was. It was not deliberate. It was no more than Mignon expected. Men were like that. Alone, they were happiest, to the thousand allurements that had been part of her equipment. This woman of his had added a soft, feminine sweetness that he knew was his unshared. This woman who gave herself to him with an abandon that pain could not have halted, with a joy that sorrow could never smother, was a creation of his own, sprung into being with his kiss. Of the dreams that surrounded him, of the fact that he had come to be a symbol of all the things that Nignon's lonesome, struggling heart desired, he could know nothing. Snuggling beside him, Nignon murmured, Do you know, Pete, this is my dream home? It's the only real home I've ever known. Again, a silence that had no need to be broken fell between them. Nignon was thinking of the home from which she had come, and, for the first time in years, of her mother, without bitterness. After all, that small, crowded, ugly, discordant Middle Western house had been a home family pete was turning over in his mind a conversation he had had with his own mother that morning at breakfast pete had never discovered that his mother's great sweetness was the veil for her tremendous stubbornness her intense determination she was the sort of woman who would have cut off her hand for her own offspring but who never dreamed that she had a duty to any other woman's children kent she said that was Pete's real name. Mother doesn't like to interfere in your affairs, dear. But Kent, dear, this girl, your sister is concerned, and your father, well, dear, you know how upset your father gets, and that's hard on me. Mother doesn't want to force your confidence, dear, but we've heard such very odd things about her. Could you explain the situation a little? Tell Sis not to get on her ear, Pete remarked or dad either 
I'm not going to make any mistakes. I can take care of myself. I know, dear, Mrs. Winton's tone drooped. But what are your relations to her? Do you, are, are you going to marry her? Pete laughed a bitter, short laugh. Don't be silly, moms. I don't believe in marriage, especially for a man that wants a professional career. Mignon knows that. My dear, are you quite sure this girl understands? There won't be any scandal on your sister's account. Young Lindstrom is so attentive, and they are very exclusive. Pete jumped up hastily. Let's not talk about it any more, he said, shame conquering his voice. There'll be no scandal. Ninon doesn't expect me to marry her, and she's the finest in the world, that kid. It was quite true, he reflected, as Ninon's warm palm measured itself against his, that he had told her, jokingly, often, that he never expected to marry. Still, his conscience gnawed him. The little white house hurt him on nights like this. It was so cozy. There was something in Ninon's eyes that shone out at him, infinitely wistful, infinitely trusting. After all, he really didn't believe what his boss, Duvalon, had tried to tell him only yesterday, that this change was only a new sensation to Ninon, that a tramp was always a tramp. But he did not reckon that the song of hope had drowned every other voice in the world for Ninon. Ninon fighting with every pitiful, deadly weapon in her power for happiness, and the fire of her love melting the sword in her hand. In Ninon's secret heart, hope burned very brightly. Pete was falling more and more into the habits of her mule-white house. He came to her now for companionship, laughter, for advice even, talked to her of his work, and Ninon, wise from her long experience in the game, turned her cunning to aid him. The dream home for which she had come to live, the little dream children with Pete's eyes and sunny hair, came nearer every day. Sometimes she could almost touch them. So, tonight, she played the cards that more and more seemed to her the winning ones. There, within the four safe walls of her home, the fragrance of her skin and the scent of her hair rising about him like ether, she wove the webs of new enchantments. At last, he said, Sing to me, Mignon. Therefore, because she had been very bright and happy and full of little jokes all evening, she sang him a small song that was often in her heart, an echo of San Francisco's ancient Chinatown, which she had picked up from a girl who had once lived in its shadows. Towsy Mongole, my dear, you leave me some day, I fear, sailing far across the sea to blue-eyes girls in Melisee. If you stay, my love you true, if you leave me, how can you? Me no cly, me only say, Towsy Mongole. It means Towsy Mongole. It means goodbye, good luck, she said softly. I wonder if I shall be able to say it. Goodbye, good luck, if you ever leave me. Now, don't laugh. I'm going to sing you a lullaby I made up myself. When the rose plush of her voice died, the boy on the couch suddenly got up and went to her, kneeling beside her in the dim light. 
I love you, Mignon, he said. I do love you, my little darling sweetheart girl. Ah, Mignon, I wish I was big enough. I wish I was fine enough. I'm a weak, selfish, common pig. You're worth forty of me. Ninon tasted the beating of her own heart in the silence. The starlight in her soul blinded her eyes. Some day, dear, she said very softly, as though she feared to wake a slumbering child in the house, a dream baby born of the summer east wind and the dew on the morning honeysuckle, safely born after travail and suffering. Some day, maybe, Ninon, said Pete, against the warm sweetness of her bosom. That night, when Pete had gone, and the darkness hid her from all the world, Ninon knelt beside the narrow white cot in the bare room. For the first time in her life she tried to pray, but the tumult of her heart drowned her words. Only tears were offered to wash clean the altar of her heart, for Ninon thought she had won. Four. There was a chuckle in her throat, almost a purr. In her eyes, laughter ran riot. No one in Hollywood had ever seen Ninon dance as she danced about the tiny Christmas tree that stood on a red crepe paper box before the fireplace. She danced about the tree, her gorgeous curls flying, her eyes like black diamonds, her scarlet lips matching the holly berries that hung in perky, beribboned wreaths upon the walls. The child straying in might have mistaken her for the spirit of Christmas. From the tree to the kitchen she danced, and once she burned her lips to an even deeper scarlet when she kissed the absurd drumsticks of the small turkey she drew from the oven to baste. From behind the piano she brought a stack of bundles. Ninon chuckled over each one as she tucked them into the fragrant limbs of the tiny, saucy tree that winked with silver and scarlet and tinsel trimmings. She chuckled over the enormous box, so carefully wrapped that she knew hid many other boxes, each one smaller in size than the other, until in the smallest box of all was a lovely, plain, jade ring that Pete had long admired. The clumsy one in newspaper, in layers and layers of newspapers, hid the tan velvet housecoat she had coveted for him for so long. The six little parcels, all done up so elaborately, each held a pongee handkerchief in which she had pulled threads for many weary, happy hours. She kissed each one as she tucked it away. It was a real Christmas. Last year she had spent Christmas alone, until night when she got drunk at a big stupid party at Art Sturgeon's because she was so miserable and lonely. Next Christmas, maybe. That reminded her of something, and she flew upstairs, her feet scarcely touching the steps. This time, she actually laughed aloud as she tacked up the silly white baby stocking over the fireplace. Inside, she stuffed candy, a rattle on which a funny face was painted, and a pen doll. When she heard a knock at the door, she fairly leapt for joy. Her heart was open to the whole world. She hoped it was someone to whom she could show her Christmas tree. Even when she saw the telegram, her heart gave not the faintest signal of warning. She only throbbed more joyously to think that someone had remembered her. She made the messenger boy come in and look at her tree. 
she gave him a pocketful of candy and an enormous slice of cake. As long as he lived, he never forgot her. She was like a living flame. It was well she had snuggled down on the big couch to read her Christmas wire. Because her heart stopped beating, and above her head the black wings of the angel of despair hovered very low. Life itself seemed to sink away from her in that moment. Her eyes grew so dull she could hardly see the crucifix of her love. Dully, she dropped the yellow death sentence into the fire, knelt with a horrible small cry to rescue even that from destruction. But the flames had left her only a few words written in hellfire. Mother, Merry Christmas, Goodbye, Pete that swiftly blackened and fell into cold gray ashes. Slowly, Ninon got to her feet, stood looking leadenly at the merry, twinkling little Christmas tree as though she did not know what it was. Then, with steady fingers and blank face, she began to strip the gleaming red balls and the sparkling white tinsel from its green branches. It was not until she reached the tiny white baby angel she had hung so carefully at the top that her hands failed her. Her fingers closed madly on its gleaming, white, fat body like a girl's dream of her firstborn, and the frail thing ground to ashes in her palm. And Ninon Gay did not even see the drops of blood that welled from her heart to dye its dust crimson. Ninon lighted another cigarette and blew out the match with a gay whistle. If you had any idea how wonderful I'd be, she said to the casting director, with a pertest smile, you'd beg me to take the darned old part. The censors seem fed up with bathing beauties. I am darned sick of trying to be funny. As a matter of fact, I'm the greatest undiscovered genius blushing unseen in Hollywood at this moment. The casting director smiled at her, his wise, kindly smile that had softened many blows dealt from his big chair. Besides, he liked Ninon Gay. I'll tell you the truth, Ninon, he said. I'd like to give it to you, but you look a little too experienced, too hard. You won't photograph young and fresh enough for this ingenue anymore. All your fun and charm doesn't register, and your screening, sort of hard. I had Sample run that last bathing picture for me the other day. I wonder if it's your hair. Why don't you stop henna-ing it? Let it go back to its natural color? Ninon rose suddenly as though an unseen hand had plucked her from her chair. The smile she gave him was like a white flower flung on an open wound. But it was a smile, valiant, hopeless. Well, if you want to know, my hair happens to be snow-white now. The casting director was not easily surprised, but for a moment he could not see the trim, saucy little figure, though he was sure tears could not have blinded his eyes. Good heavens, child! When? How did that happen? From a cabaret set just outside the window, a wild peal of jazz and laughter flooded the office. Oh, it's a little Christmas present I got last year, said Ninon, still smiling. It's, it's the ghost of a happiness that was born dead, that's all. But you have to go on just the same. And she walked out, whistling through lips that were gray. The funny little Chinaman 
sitting in the outer office, waiting to be cast in an underworld feature, nodded pleasedly as he recognized the thin, trembling melody. Me no cly, me only say, Tausi Mongolay. End of section 19